Doing it live on a Tuesday, Bo Bishop and Johnny Ginter. It is the Dubcast, and we are inching ever so close to uh, that opener on that Thursday, a couple of weeks out now. And, um, you know, we're still at a point with, with Ohio State in terms of fall practice where, uh, you know, really the big headlines are, you know, black stripes being removed off of freshman helmets and, and how quick they're adapting. Um, I saw a couple of things that, that jumped out at me, and before we get into the main d- discussion, but um, I, I saw Bobby Carpenter tweet this last week. Um, about Chase Young, and it's you know we one of our big themes is what type of cool number you're wearing is what type of player they think you'll be, and apparently number two <laughs> on defense is going to be pretty good. And yeah. Bobby tweeted out that one of the NFL scouts asked him, you know, so so and is that that kid's draft eligible, right? And Bobby said, well, no, he's a true freshman. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, the the hype train for him and J.K. Dobbins is is quickly um, is quickly t- has has left the station. And so uh, those two kids look like, among others, that this this freshman class can have a big impact. If you if you couple that with this such a senior laden group and a quarterback like JT Barrett, you you really have what is starting to shape up to be a very exciting season. I can tell, you know, in Columbus today, taping the television show, that they're starting to get a little bit of momentum and excitement uh, for the for the season, which is really right around the corner now, my friend. Yeah, well, that's I mean you're always looking out for who's going to end up being the ones and the twos. And when you see so many freshmen and, and true freshmen who are making such a big impact, like that's a great sign. Like I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, you want to make sure that you have the veterans and they're competing, they're doing well. But the fact that this class seems not to have been overhyped, despite the incredible amount of publicity and expectations that was on them. I, I think that's awesome. I love the fact that a lot of these young guys are contributing really, really, really early um, and even guys who've been around for maybe a year or two, it's just, it's cool to see that development because you know that that is a good sign of a healthy program. And I think that's, that's great. So I'm super excited about it. Yeah, it's, it is. Um, you know, the, the most famous freshman that came into this class was Tate Martell. And this gets into our main discussion, which is yeah. about the quarterbacks because it's, it's, it was an interesting, they had some availability and there were some interesting comments back and forth. Let's start at the top of the depth chart and JT you and I will talk about this when we do the season preview, uh, which will come up in a couple of weeks. And um, you and I have said this before, and, and it's I think most people, it's well acknowledged that this is the JT Barrett referendum season, right? I mean, this yes. is a kid who can go down as a top five player in the history of the program if he you know, were to lead Ohio State to a national championship, be a Heisman finalist. Statistically, he will rewrite the record book completely. Um, or he could be a guy who's booed off the field for Dwayne Haskins or Joe Burrow. So, I mean, the, the pendulum swings are wide for, for, for Barrett. So we'll get into more of the JT Barrett conversation uh, coming up in, in a future podcast as we try to, you know, put his place in Buckeye history and where it could be by the end of the year on the line in, in one of the season previews that's upcoming. But uh, I want to talk about the backup guys because one of these guys is going to play. And I heard JT's comments about Dwayne Haskin and Joe Burrow. And he said that, that Joe is uh, the I'm interpreting, but it, I think it's, I think it's easy to get here is that Joe would be the safe choice uh, that yeah. Joe knows the offense. He knows how to do it. And, the, and then he really compared Dwayne Haskins, by name to Cardale Jones as, as kind of a wild card um, with this huge arm and huge physical talent. And um, behind them is Tate Martell, who Urban Meyer in a press conference is saying um, is, is a kid who, who is fast twitch and is special and is turning heads and he loves where he's at right now and that he's a weapon. And you ask yourself, okay, this is a log jam, the likes of which we've never seen. And, and if, if JT Bitter is healthy, none of these guys will play a snap that matters, it's my belief. Um, but, but if JT is hurt, then how do they how do they handle this and and how will this play out and and my initial 
hypothesis on this is that if, if JT Barrett is hurt for a short spell and needs to be spelled for a game or a, uh, you know, the, the remainder of a game, it will be Joe Burrow. But yeah. if, if Ohio state has to roll a long time and win games with the quarterback position, which I think they're going to, I think JT Barrett's going to have to win some games with his own talent this year, that it'll be Haskins that they roll with. That's me reading a lot between the lines, but that's kind of where I sit on this thing a couple of weeks before the season opener. I think it depends also when in the season, you know, that were to happen. Like, let's say JT Barrett gets hurt very end of the season, maybe one or two games left. I think they roll with Burrow because you want a guy who's going to know the offense and, and be able to just keep things going. Um, but by that same token, if you ends up happening really early, and I, I know we're it's it's so weird to have this hypothetical, like, God, what if JT Barrett just breaks his leg in half? But, right. you know, I, I think the earlier it is, the more likely – a guy like Haskins will get a shot because they're like, well, you know, let's, let's see what this talent does. I think it's really awesome and kind of cool, honestly, that it's thrown back in my face uh, that Tate is hanging around a little bit. Um, yeah. Getting a lot of really positive comments that don't just seem to be like, yeah, you know, let's try to blow some smoke up this kid's butt, maybe make him feel a little better about himself. Like they're legitimately saying this guy can ball a little bit. And uh, that's cool. That, I, I, I like the. I, I don't mind being proven wrong. If that guy ends up, you know, overtaking somebody on the depth chart and and tr- turns out to be like, you know, really like a Johnny Manziel type, then shoot, good for him. Like I, I, I like that he's been given this opportunity and not just immediately, you know, shuttled over to the uh, wide receivers or whatever. Like he's actually getting a legitimate chance to to prove himself as a quarterback. And if he can do it, then he can do it. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. But right now, I think you're going to see Joe uh, Burrow end up as the uh, the number two once the season starts. I think that's how it's going to end up working out. Yeah, I would agree with you that Burrow would would end up holding under the number two job. This is a delicate, uh, it's a delicate decision for Urban, and how he frames this is pretty critical because um, everything that that I hear from from people within the program about Dwayne Haskins is that he is special. Right. really special like they love him they love joe burrow a lot too and they like martell a lot and they love emory jones but haskins i hear a lot of buzz about and you just wonder like how can you satisfy all of this um you know because it's kind of my belief and these are problems for the second week in august i acknowledge but, <laughs> but this yeah. is you kind of wonder like how can this all be stayed happy and and will they all be here second semester um, you know, like can, can all these guys go into spring battling for the job, you know, Burrow, Haskins, Martell? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think so. I think someone's going to have to transfer out and, and the sooner the better for their sake. Right. I mean, you you can't, I don't see a scenario where those three kids are all here next spring. I just can't get there. If they all want to be quarterbacks. No, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think that's something that's, that's going to happen. Um, I don't it, know that any of them can switch positions though. They're all quarterbacks. Well, you I mean, don't think Mark, like Tate could be like a slot guy or a. I don't think know. Tate can play anywhere else, though, really. I mean, he's a little dude. Well, maybe slot. Maybe he could be a Welker type. I, I don't know. Guy. Running the slot, a Jalen Marshall type. Maybe yeah, he could, I think he could do like that. that. That'd take a lot of convincing, though, wouldn't it? For some kid oh, who's, sure. uh, who's done what he's done. No, I mean, I, I think that's the case with any big name, you know, recruit who comes in at quarterback, but it's been done before. And I, you know, you could have a guy like Sansabacher, a guy like, you know. Yeah. Jalen, who's come in and do that kind of thing. And hey, if Jaylen he's Marshall really is, that quick, he's really yeah. that quick and that elusive, he could play that spot. And you've got precedence with, you know, Braxton Miller making that switch and he's in the NFL. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, like it just depends on how wedded they are to the idea that they are going to be, 
you know, an NFL quarterback. I don't think Tate Martell uh, is going to be an NFL quarterback. I don't know if he thinks that or not. Uh, right. But it's possible you can make that that sell to him. But even if you take Tate out of the equation, right? I mean, what do you got? You still got Emory coming in. And right. you still got a logjam with really talented guys at the top. So who are all, I mean, you know, if you got Haskins and Jones, I mean, it's it's going to be, yeah, that's still a really difficult call uh, if Emory Jones is as talented as a lot of people think he is. So I think a lot of it comes down to playing time too. Um, and when you see who ends up shining in garbage time and when you see who ends up, you know, God forbid JT gets hurt, uh, who ends up stepping up and playing well, then I think that's going to set the precedent for that second semester and those decisions that guys start to make. Um, yeah, it's funny. These are conversations that are fun to have now. They're, it's something right. we won't even d- talk about for three and months. Nobody and wants to have in October. Nobody will have it. I mean, this will this will be a conversation that's, that w- is not had again until you get into January or transfer time, you know, into December. You know, if somebody isn't where they think they should be and they're not fitting in the way that they want, um, you know, you'll have this this type of talk around December and there will be, you know, a transfer situation. Yeah. Um, I don't know in terms of their academic standing. Joe's been there a year longer than the rest. I would think he would be pretty close to a grad transfer kid. I would think yeah, you would, that yeah, he's got to be pretty close to that. So he would be the most likely, I would think, to, you know, to, to graduate and still have like two years of eligibility to go play somewhere else as a grad student. I think that could be in play for him. Um, the other two would have to obviously sit a year in order to transfer. So this is, this will be a fascinating thing. And, and, and what speak, we did the show today and we also talked about the linebacker depth and, you know, urban said something to the effect of he was not comfortable with nine guys at linebacker. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 only problem with talent and depth of talent is talent and depth of talent. And it's just managing right. ego. And how do you do that? Because I mean, there's kids you think about, I mean, they're going to play at linebacker. They're going to play Booker Baker and Worley obviously will be the first guys out behind them is a ton of talent. And you think of a kid like Justin Hilliard, who they took Chick Harley's number 47 out of retirement and put it on his back. Mm-hmm. And where's he going to play? Like they have so much talent. And and the more you look at this, we'll get into this as the as the season preview show that we do in a couple of weeks. But I remember you a year ago when I I was so high on this team, and you said receivers bugged you, the receivers bugged you, and you were right. They did. They had, they were right to bug you. And you look at this roster, and it's still the only place where you say, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Like I have a pretty good feeling about everything else, but I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like you're going to have to figure out a way to manage your personnel and satisfy everybody, but that's not a bad problem to have. And even the wide receivers, I mean, if you like some of the reports coming out, you're, they're starting to solidify who they're going to have. And I kind of like the fact that you're in the second week, you have an idea about who's going to be your guys. I don't think Ben Victor is going to end up being, you know, like a Devin Smith or anything like that. I don't think they have a, like a guy like that really who can, who can do that kind of thing. But if you at least know who you have, and you can mesh those guys with the quarterback and they, you know, they've got a really good offensive coordinator telling them where to be and what to do. You can make up for some of those deficiencies in one unit because a lot of the other stuff can can kind of mask that. And especially at running back where you've got so many different options, uh, guys can go out wide. You know, just there's a lot of ways to cover that up. And if that's the only real deficiency, um, I'm not quite as negative on the wide receiver group at least how they would affect the offense as maybe i was last year because last year i'm like well who else you have behind you know 
Mike I, Weber. Like that's what you're really relying on. You're going to put right, so much right. pressure on JT Barrett that it it becomes this kind of like negative feedback loop. You're you're constantly putting more and more pressure on one guy to make up for everything else. I don't feel that that's the case this year. I think they have enough talent on offense to spread out some of that extra load that maybe the the wide receivers won't you know be able to handle. So I it's think that's fun. it's funny you say that. I, I'm actually on the other side of it because there's no Curtis Samuel to carry yeah, it. That's true. So, right. So Curtis Samuel, feel, I'm actually more worried. <laughs> and, <laughs> and basically my, my, I guess my, the only thing that sues me is, is that I believe Kevin Wilson's a damn fine offensive coach. Yeah. And I think it's an upgrade. So that's really what I'm banking on is that, is that Wilson lifts everybody because I think actually um, that Noah Brown might be the best receiver on this team if he were still here. And I think Curtis Sam would be the best weapon if he were still here. So I, I haven't, we'll have to see. I mean, we'll find out Thursday in a couple of weeks against Indiana. Who, who's the playmakers on this team? Who can stretch a field? Or are we just going to rely on JT Barrett to do a lot? And we've seen when he's asked to do that, that sometimes that's a weight with which he cannot carry. Yeah. He is best as a distributor and 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 someone who spreads the, the playmaking around um, versus somebody who creates it all. I mean, he's good at that too, but really his best year was his first when he had all that talent. I know there's talent, but but I don't see there is no proven playmakers in terms of well, like Curtis Samuel last year going to last year, I could say that kid's good. Like right. they can roll with him. If if they get him, you know, 10 touches running, 10 touches receiving, he's gonna get him close to 200 yards. I mean, it was you know, 10 yards a touch, hundred, you know, whatever. Um, and now, you know, with this group, I there's no Curtis Samuel walking through the door, at least not none that is proven. At least Samuel, I'd seen him flash is brilliant. I haven't seen any of these young pups flash is brilliant. Here's what I would say about that. This is, and to your point about, uh, you know, spreading the ball around and whatnot, and that being one of his strengths, that's absolutely, I mean, JT Barrett is very, very good at, you know, the dude's open that they're getting the ball. Um, what I think really gives me hope specifically with, uh, you know, Kevin Wilson, the offense, is that I believe that he is going to be able to utilize that strength far better than what we saw last yeah. year. Because last year you would see, you know, like one guy would just get the ball repeatedly. They were trying to make stuff happen. This wouldn't work. I think you're going to see a much more coherent offense. Yeah. And you don't have to have guys that are going to be amazing game breakers, but you have to have enough guys that get open that will give him, you know, JT Barrett options to actually make plays. And I, yeah. to me, that's more important. But to me, if you have a coherent, understandable offense that actually has a point that is actually like trying to accomplish a specific goal, you know, obviously you want to score points, but you want to, you know, get your guys in certain positions in certain ways. If you can do that, you can take a guy like Ben Victor or, you know, John Dixon or whoever else is out there and get them in positions that are advantageous. I think it's fine if you have like three or four Dane Sanzenbachers. Like you, that's not uh, that's not ideal. You want you want a guy who can really stretch the field and stuff like that. Um, but I think it can I think it's doable, I guess, is my yeah. point. Yeah, they've got to have somebody, though, who can break it. That somebody's yeah, got to develop. So one of those young pups has got to grow into a dog this year. I mean, they need it. Uh, yeah. I'm fascinated. I think we all are. You know, we have a ton of faith in JT, even more faith probably in Kevin Wilson. Um, you got faith in the running backs. I think Dobbins is going to be a stud and really help. But but that somebody right. has to help out on the edges. So Paris Campbell, somebody's got to be a stud. And yeah. so that will be something worth watching. And that'll be the weight that, you know, that um, that, that whole unit carries is that well, they haven't been to, getting the job done. I want to say something. To go back to quarterback talk, though, JT Barrett, if he ends up getting hurt, 
that to me is where you'll see a huge, huge drop off because then you've got to deal with a guy who maybe doesn't have the same kind of rapport with those wide receivers. And the wide receivers are going to be the ones who have to yeah. pick up the quarterback. And that's where things get really dangerous. So, I mean, I, you know, we can talk about who they want as number two all, all day, but the truth of the matter is it may not matter because, yeah. the, you know, the way those two units mesh is really important. And to me, like, I don't know that I really trust anybody but JT Barrett to try to well, make that so with the, the wide receivers. Well, so the said in 2014, because when, when Braxton Miller went down, we all thought the season was over. That's that true. And, and, six yeah, games. and that's a very good point, yeah. Um, now, now, the difference was in 2014, I mean, we didn't know if Zeke Elliott could replace Carlos Hyde. <laughs> right. You had no idea. You had no idea if Michael Thomas could be a player or if Jalen Marshall would be a player. I mean, you saw him as high school kids, but you didn't know. You know, so somebody on this roster has to do it, what Zeke did. Somebody on this roster has to do what Michael Thomas did, what Devin Smith did. What, what, uh, I mean, across the board, there, there are all sorts of guys on that team who rose up when Braxton got hurt. Um, and so the, some of these young guys, whether JT gets hurt or not, and God willing, he does. And I hope he plays his whole year and has a great year, but some right. of these young kids have got to make the step and they did it in 2014. It led to a national championship and the talent is everywhere else on the roster. So if playmakers step up, you know, they got a little bit of a chance, um, but they'll need some guys to, to really step up in the, in those roster spots. So I'm fascinated to see it. we got a couple of weeks left to, to f- figure out. And I'm sure it's something that urban is working. You know, it's tireless work to try to find those type of guys. They've recruited them. Have they developed them? Are they ready to play? That'll be the question. Well, it's um, funny you say urban, but like working tirelessly because the dude looks like he's been like sleeping in a tent on the you know, practice field. You I, think it's amazing. I think you should keep that look. I think it's fantastic. I love the, the bear gorillas, you know, it's so great. Just a permanent five o'clock shadow. <laughs> like it's just so strong. I would just love, I would absolutely love to see him roll with it. Yeah. Um, I think Fantastic. he, I think he'd look great. And I love somebody on social media, like has superimposed like uh, a Ulysses S grant beard on him. <laughs> Have you seen this? I haven't seen that yet. I need it's to check that great, out. Like full beard. That's uh, right up my alley. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good full beard. By the way, that's a general whose statue I think can stay up. Let's leave those up. Um, and the rest of them get the hell down with as I, I I'm, tr- I've tried to avoid it, but I, you know, it's just driving me nuts the last couple Dude, of days. I'm not, children I'm, for God's sake, right trying to explain you. all this right behind you. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's one of those things like everybody says, stick to sports, right? And it's I, hard to stick to sports. I just I mean, don't know how I, I need hard to stick to sports when you have other interests in life. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. And other I, things. Yeah, I know it. And I, I think stick to stick to, I saw Chris Long write something that was so great about that, about, you know, this whole stick to sports nonsense. Like, come on. Um, but anyway, that, that is, that is probably something for another podcast. Um, we, do we have any, ask us any things this week? We do. We've got a couple. And the first okay. one, first of all, guys, you can ask us anything as you guys always do, uh, by sending us a question to uh, dubcast at 11 warriors.com. First one's from Alvin. It's kind of a continuation, maybe a little bit of what we were talking about, but on the other side of the ball and Alvin wants to know who do you predict is our offensive, excuse me, defensive MVP this year. So not offense, but defense. Who's going to shine on the defense? Doesn't it set up for Jerome Baker to just be a monster? Yes. I mean, to me, it kind of seems like he could have, he's not quite the physical freak, but it seems to me like he could have kind of a LeVar Arrington. If you go back to that Penn State, you know, when it was kind of the year of the linebacker. I mean, uh, I could see him having just a monster. Like he he said, uh, we ran some sound today on the television show where he said, um, you know, last year I didn't really know what I was doing. 
I mean, right. I wasn't even lined up right half the time. So, and look how great he was. So imagine when he is. Um, and by the way, this speaks to Jerome Baker, I think, and what he's all about. He was, he was not a starter. He, he, Dante Booker gets hurt last year and Baker steps in and is thrown into the fire at Oklahoma and balls out that game and all year. Right. Um, exactly. so it speaks to about being ready and being next man up. And Baker took full advantage of it. And to me, it seems like the table's set for him to have a monster year. Well, and there's going to be so much rotation on the defensive line. I think they're going to have so many guys who are going to be doing different things and especially, you know, like trying to replace some guys. Uh, I think he's really going to have a lot of, you know, opportunities to shine, you know, just as, you know, in terms of both the media and what he does on the field, I think a lot of guys are going to be looking at him as the leader of the defense uh, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, he's clearly a, like an incredible player. So, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I think he's going to be really, really good. I want to see what happens when people finally, you know, maybe get wise to the fact that uh, Taekwon Lewis is probably statistically, I mean, not probably is statistically the best defensive lineman on the team. Um, yeah. And if he continues to perform the way he's performed the past couple of years, he should be, I think, at least all Big Ten, but probably all America. Um in the way he's performed. So I think he's a, another guy who could be a really important, um, you know, factor on the team and maybe, you know, defensive MVP, but yeah, those two guys uh, are definitely set up for, uh, for success. Um, all right. This next one here is from James. This says, uh, this is to you. So we've got one for you, one for me. The first one to you goes, uh, when did you go from being a journalist uh, covering the Buckeyes to a fan? Was there a specific moment or was it a process what is different about your relationship to OSU than it was for Florida or Florida State? I was there longer, mm-hmm. and I got to know more people, and my kids were born in Columbus, and I did the coaches' shows, and so relationships were formed, and you got to know kids on a level that I didn't quite get to. I, I Look, I think in a way, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about um, uh, journal. And I still consider myself a journalist, even though I don't, you know, do it for a living anymore. Um, I still consider myself that that was my trade. I think one of the mm-hmm. bis- biggest misconceptions about journalists is that, that we root for the team we cover to fail. Um, or, or that, or you can take it to politics that you root for like the president to fail. Like it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like what, what any team I've covered, um, you know, especially when I was at like you know, really straightforward playing news organizations um, who who didn't take a side. Like, for example, when I was in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, the news director there and Florida State's there, obviously, but so is Florida A&M and so is the University of Florida. University of Florida is an hour and a half away, a couple hours away. So he would say, look, you and Georgia wasn't far off. And we did. We covered a lot of South Georgia. And he would say, look, you can't lead Florida State every night. You got to lead FAMU sometimes. Florida A&M, the HBCU that's down there. You got to lead the Gators a little bit. He goes, it's not everybody here is a Seminole fan. Now, in, when I come to Columbus and the main anchors are wearing Buckeyes for necklaces during the newscast, that was shocking <laughs> because that, that's not the way that it was when I was in Tallahassee. Yeah. Tallahassee, state capital, but there were a lot of rooting interests. Uh, in Columbus, Columbus is more of a company town um, where basically the whole city is in on Ohio State, right? They're all in business with Ohio State. Um, right. And so, so that's part of it. But getting back to the point, I wanted every team I covered to win a national championship. Even when I was playing it straight down the middle, because there was nothing more fun than covering that. Right. 
I have no interest in covering a, I've covered a six and seven team at Ohio state. It's not fun. I covered the downfall of Bobby Bowden. I, I was at the press conference when Bobby Bowden fired his son as offensive oh, coordinator. God. I mean, Bowden went 14 years finishing in the top three in the country. And then it fell off a cliff. Right. And I, I had to right. cover it. That sucked. I didn't, I didn't, I had no interest in covering that. I would have much rather them continue to just win games. And guess what? Most people who do this for a living are in that same boat. Um, so I, I still consider myself a journalist. I definitely root. I have a rooting interest. Certainly. I know so many people in the program, you know, like a lot of them have become my friends. So, you know, that, I guess that's it. Like, it's just, you build relationships. And so, yeah. um, and I still think you can be both. I still think you can have, have an interest in Ohio state doing well, but also, and I, and I hope that I've done this in my career in Columbus and in the state of Ohio is want them to do well, but also have the credibility to call them out when their stuff doesn't add up. And I feel like I've done that. So you, I think you're I very, like I can, I feel like yeah. I can sleep at night going, yeah, I hope they do well. But at the same time, if they do something that's illicit or, or deserving of penalty, then I, sh then I'll tell them that too. Uh, so it's kind of like my kid, right? <laughs> like you love him <laughs> unconditionally, but at the same time, you know, if he, if he, you know, slaps his brother in the face, then I gotta, you know, you gotta smack him. You know, you gotta take care of the business, take care of the problem. And, and I guess that's kind of the way that it is. Well, and I, I got to tell you something. I, I think you've always done a really good job of balancing that. And it's kind of tricky in Columbus because, like you said, like it's so entrenched and enmeshed in the culture here yeah. that people will take that as an affront if you even dare to question you know, something that Ohio State does. You know um, what I found, Johnny? I found that most Buckeye fans, and I would get my share of hate mail if I was, you know, I was pretty... Um, I was pretty strong on Tress mm -hmm. just because of some of the stuff I saw yeah. and I would get my fair share of, of hate mail. Right. But it right. wasn't as much as you would think. I think most Buckeye fans are pretty smart. And I think most Buckeye fans know when their program is overstepping its bounds and crossing yeah. the line. And they almost say, yeah, we deserve that one. We deserve that one. And, and so it, it wasn't, I think sometimes Ohio State fans get a bad rap as like this, you know, completely scarlet and gray colored glasses. And, and I don't think that. I, I think the smartest football fans in the country are in the state of Ohio. And sure, we love our Buckeyes. But also, if somebody disappoints us within the program, we're okay with calling them out. Yeah, no, I, I, think, the, I think the interesting thing is how, like, when you have that extreme fandom, when people are really, really heavily invested in the football yeah. team and something, maybe, you know, maybe they don't perform well in a game or something like that. I think Ohio state fans are definitely the first to go. This is, this is unacceptable, but I also think Ohio state fans are also really susceptible to nostalgia and other things like that. Yeah. Um, maybe not any more than any other fan group would be, but uh, I just remember one time I wrote an article about, you know, Urban Meyer being a better recruiter than Jim Trestle, which yeah. on its face is completely evident. Like there is it's no, that's not even really something I had to write about. Right. But I got people saying like, I can't believe you would talk about Trestle this way. And I'm like, yeah. I can't believe you forgot. <laughs> like, yeah. and, it's, and it's fine. And that's okay to have that passion. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I just think it's really interesting the relationship that sometimes fans have with the media because when you want to commiserate over a crappy like game, like when you lose to Michigan state, you don't give Zeke the ball enough. Everybody's on board with saying like that, that you screwed up. Like they screwed right. up. 
Yeah. When a team wins, but maybe shows some pretty evident cracks in their game. Like you're like, okay, they won by two touchdowns or three touchdowns, but this part of the game really, really underperformed and really didn't do well. Then I think that's when people are kind of reluctant to go along with like, oh yeah, because they're like, well, we won. What do you want? And I'm like, yeah, but you gotta, you can't be just satisfied with that. So I think it's, it's kind of an interesting give and take. And I, like I said, I think you've balanced that throughout your career really, really well. Um, Thanks. I appreciate that. You tried to, you were cognizant of it. I mean, I took a ton of crap. I remember saying when urban got hired, like you people have no idea what's coming. You have no idea how good this guy is. And people were like, you know, that I thought I was spitting in the face of Trestle. And I had tremendous respect for Trestle. Who hated the hire of Urban Meyer? Because there were people. Yeah, I know it. And And I knew that that it would go. I mean, I knew him. I knew what he would do. I I saw it at Florida firsthand. I knew how he would do it. So it was, I felt real confident in that. And and maybe too, when I, you know, at that time when I was on the radio, I was just starting out and, um, and I, I probably... Not probably. I absolutely only they put me on radio at ninety seven point one. The fan. I'd never hosted a show before, mm-hmm. so never. It so was these crazy, <laughs> which is crazy. My only point of reference for radio was I used to listen to Cowherd and I'd listen to Jim Rome, and it was have a take, don't suck, and I'm absolutely right. And so when I first got on the radio in Columbus, I thought that's what you did. Yeah, I thought that's what you did, and it was it was misguided and it was short sighted. And once I started to get more comfortable in my own skin on the radio, I realized that, that you just, just be yourself. And when you're wrong, admit it. And I was wrong a lot. You missed some things. And that's when that show really, that I was on really took off from a rating standpoint was, was when that happened. When, when I understood that the, what the job really was, was, um, was to be yourself. And so, um, look, in terms of what I am, absolutely. I want Ohio state to win every game they, they, they play. I mean, I, I love so many people in the program. I love so many of the guys who are involved in it. And, and my wife is from here. My boys live and die with it. So yeah, absolutely. But if, if they cross a line or they do something that I don't, that I don't think fits with, with maybe the not moral code, because it's just football, but if right. there's something across the line, I'll call them out on it. And, and hopefully I've built up enough credibility and goodwill that I can do it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a good way to approach it. Um, question for me from James is, uh, he says, I know I'm a late, a little bit late on this, but I would love to hear more about Montreal. Do you speak French? No. <laughs> uh, I speak. How great is I that speak, city, by the way? Say again. How great is that city? Oh, it's beautiful. It, it's an it incredible is. city. Um, great food. I, yeah. The food is amazing. I eat so much rich food that I had a gallbladder attack. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that tells you a lot of gravy. Uh, it was, it was pretty fantastic. I mean, we went to Moishas, we got uh, some steak. I mean, it was, it was legit. Uh, I don't speak French. I speak a very small amount of Spanish and even less, uh, Japanese, but French is difficult for me. I don't, I don't really know why I've tried it a little bit and it's just not the, the lack of consonants really messes with me. Um, and then he says, besides the tour guide, do you recommend anything else? Would you go back? I've been to Montreal twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely go back if given the opportunity. It's a really, really cool city. Um, I would really recommend, so uh, they've got, you know, they've got kind of the mountain that overlooks the city and that's, there's some great hiking and and walking up there. Uh, I finally, this time, the first time I went, I didn't get the opportunity to go to the top and we looked and we could not find the path to it. Uh, But this time I did. And uh, there's this great overlook that just, you know, the entire city is there. Um, You know, we saw, like I walked around a lot just kind of on my own in the morning and I saw a lot of the historical stuff. They have a lot of cathedrals there that are just absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got a lot of shopping there that's really kind of cool and a lot of really great history. 
I would probably, you know, if I went back, I would probably try try to take in like you know a hockey game, you know, yes, um, some sports because they got they've got so much really great big city stuff in addition to all the cool history that's that's around there, and, and maybe even get on the river a little bit because the whole thing was just yeah. it's a beautiful place, um, right up my alley in terms of just like you know combining like the outdoors and the cool stuff to do in the city and sports so it's it's a really really nice place and i recommend it for anybody the one thing i will say i was i mean i know you're in quebec and you know french is really kind of expected i thought that montreal would be not quite as uh you know francophone as as you know it ended up being there are some people in montreal who do not speak english period yeah, but um, you could still manage, right? Like oh, I didn't yeah, have a problem. You're, you're, be totally, you're going to Quebec City, you're probably screwed if you don't speak at least a little yeah. French. Montreal, you're fine. I was just really surprised that, you know, there's a lot of it. Culturally intense, you know, the the French aspect of it was. Um, and that's cool. I think that's really neat, but you just kind of got to be prepared for it. What's a, um, what, I was there for a Grand Prix, so they had an F1 race when I was there. Oh, yeah. they Yeah, and they, it's like on one of the islands. I would love yeah, to the see. Yeah, Canadian were Grand just about- Prix was going on when I was there. So it was Canadian Grand Prix, and it was also the tennis um, was there. Uh, so it was all going on this weekend when I, when I was there. And, uh, like, the Grand Prix was amazing because, you you know, we were there when they were, you know, it's, I think they raced on Saturday. I can't really remember. It's been a couple of years. But you'd see these private jets flying in from Europe. Um, yeah over to watch the grand prix which is cool the casino looks like a casino from james bond (laughs) like it's a james bond doppelganger casino yeah it just looks like something that bond would drive to like it's a spectacular uh thing um i would say if if you've never been that what reminded me johnny was if you put new orleans where pittsburgh is located there you go that's a great i think that is a really good analogy that's that's really kind of the feel i think yeah, like the the French culture. It's a it's a city that has. It's like Montreal, New Orleans, San Francisco are unlike any cities in the in in North America. They all have a very distinct feel that's unrecog that's just so clearly where you are. Yes, you could never mistake being in Montreal for being in Toronto. Just right. like you could never mistake being in New Orleans for being in Dallas. Like they yeah. don't, they don't have the same- a great city, but it's not it's not yeah. like. Montreal. Montreal. No, no, no. Really Toronto's amazing. great. Toronto's like Chicago or New York. I mean, it's a yeah. monster. But um, to me, Montreal was like if you t- stuck New Orleans in Pittsburgh's location, that would that's what the feel of it is with the river and the hills and the mountains. You know, it has that feel to it. It's it's good. I mean, it's a real you'll have a good time. If you, I, I couldn't recommend I like both those. Both of those are you know what else? Vancouver's great, Calgary's <laughs> great. They're all good. Those are all yeah, good it's a cities. Cool country. It really is. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> I've never um, been. I've never been to Vancouver. I really want to go to Vancouver. Um, oh, the, it's the, the most beautiful. Montre- I'm sorry. Good. Yeah, I was just say Vancouver. I think you could. I mean, it could hold its own as the most beautiful city in North America. Oh yeah, with the, absolutely. the mountains surrounding it. Just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say about Montreal that I really, really loved is the street art. They have a ton, a ton yes. of street art, and it's really, it's, it's incredible. They have some amazing artists there who just do all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. This next one here, this is from Andy real quick. He he talked about, uh, you know, the, the quarterbacks. We kind of discussed, obviously, the quarterbacks a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but just to finalize this, who do you really believe is, you know, starting the season, who's going to be the backup? So we talked about Joe Burrow. Do you think that's, yeah. that's pretty set in stone? JT and Joe. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and the last one here, um, this is from Euro, uh, says, and this is an interesting one. Maybe we uh, need a little bit more time to talk about this one, but uh, – 
so it says question on the media, which might be a little inside baseball. Why is Herman's no tweeting during press conferences such a big deal? It's not controlling what you can say, just delaying saying it for a few minutes. What does having the quote out 20 minutes earlier change for the reporter if everyone has to wait 20 minutes? Is it just the thought of trying to control any of the reporter's actions? It's the last part. Yeah, that's what it is. Look, yeah. the, these pro- we've talked about this. this the, these programs, it's up to us to be interesting as the media. The programs can do whatever they want. It's up to us to find a way to be interesting and for you to continue to think that we are. Um, but but the part that's galling if you're in the media is that something somebody who uh, makes what Tom Herman does while being employed by a state university tells you how to do your job. That's the part that, that rubs you the wrong way. Uh, because what you're saying is, well, wait a second, you're a state employee. Yes. Right. You're the highest paid exactly. state employee in the state of Texas, probably. It's either him or Sumlin, just like Urban's the highest paid state employee in the state of Ohio, right? Like it's not Kasich, you know, right. it's the head coach <laughs> at Ohio State by a yeah. wide margin. It's not, you know, by a wide margin, he's the highest paid. And so like if Urban were to say, hey, you can't do that now, I'd be like guys on the, some of the guys on the beat would be like, well, wait a second. And this fans don't care about any of this nonsense, but it's the idea of a state employee telling the media who's covering the state institution how to do its job, how it can and what. That's the part that rubs people the wrong way. Fans yep. don't care. I don't blame you for not caring. Um, but but and I don't know that. Look, it's up to us to evolve. We have to. Um, but that's the reason that I think it's the last part. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. The, the accountability for a state, uh, a public official, right? to the media when you have that much on the line, that much attention, that much money invested. It, it's not that it's such a bad thing that people have to wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes to tweet out something. It's the idea that a state, a public official can tell the media how to report on their actions. And that is really, really galling because you wouldn't accept that from the governor. You wouldn't accept that from a mayor of a city, right? The mayor of a city can't go to a press conference and say, hey guys, can you just wait? Hold on a second. All right, let me fashion this out. Yeah. Like that wouldn't be acceptable. And if you're paying the, you know, the salary, you know, coaches and all these other people, I mean, not technically, obviously, that's not really how it works, but right. if they're still public employees and they're still yes. accountable to the public, then you deserve to have that information on your terms on the terms of the media, not on the terms of the people who are trying to dictate it to the media. Yes. And yeah, it's a principled thing and it's not necessarily like going to kill anybody if they have to wait a little bit, but it's also, you know, these coaches, if they could control every single tiny bit of piece of information about their programs, they would like, they would love it if they didn't have a media to contend with and they could just, you know, disseminate all the information about their program through their social media, you know, look at our current president. Yeah, I mean, it it's, goes to the highest reach. Yeah, you want to control the narrative as Absolutely. much as you can. Yeah. And the media is there to push back against that. And that's yeah. why it's important that they're able to do that unfettered. Yes, it's very important. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, yeah. I believe it's in an amendment. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there's, it's somewhere. I can't remember. Yeah, I feel like it's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so that's Ask Us Anything for this week. Really good question, guys. Uh, please, please continue to send those in. Dubcast at 11warriors.com. All right. Uh, so this is the part of the show where we talk about uh, Game of Thrones. We do this yes. at the end of the show. So if you're not interested, you can bail. Uh, or if you haven't seen the last episode, season five episode or season seven, episode five, you can bail as well because there will be copious amounts of spoilers here. Right. Um, so this was a fantastic episode. Um, I like it almost as much as when we have what we had you know, last week with dragons because of all of the plot. There was so God. much going on. 
in plot in this thing. Um, let let me go over um, this. This was my overwhelming takeaway. Okay. Was that Game of Thrones, A Song of Fire and Ice, mm-hmm. is the Jon Snow story. Right. It's not about anybody else. Everybody else is an ancillary character. Um, the the to me the knowledge, and I believe this is new knowledge from Gilly to Sam. <laughs> that and I can't believe we're doing this, but this is is this not new information? No, not it's not that, new information. It, it, well, no, no, it's, no, no, no. Not that he is who he is, but that he is the rightful heir. Yes, that he's a legitimate that. Targaryen. He's not a bastard. He's not someone. He is a. They were married. Right. They were, it was an annulment and a marriage. He yeah, is so that is heir to the Iron Throne. Hilarious to me that Gilly just like throws this off, yeah. and then Sam's that's like, "That's huge, really right?" Tired. I'm so tired, babe. Like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Like, this is not, you know, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah, that that cracked me up. Um, because that's that new that's information, like, right? Yeah, that's like a huge bomb, and yeah. Gilly's the one who figured it out. I think that's great. Uh, yeah, like that's got to be from a book reader standpoint. You knew who oh, his, I was you, laughing my head off. That's, all sorts of ideas about who is we all kind of knew for a while who his parents were, but the idea sure. that uh, that he's a legitimate Targaryen, yeah, is a game changer. I mean, he's well, the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. I would say most most book readers kind of already suspected that but the legitimacy um, too. Yeah, even the legitimacy stuff okay. because of the way the the events surrounding their you know the way they absconded and they left like it it, it like it, an annulment though. Like legal, yeah, it made sense that they got married in some, you know, for some reason or whatnot. Um, That's crazy. But is it? Am I wrong to think that it's his story? I mean, the no, way, everything. So. It seems I, like I, it's his story. Yeah, I think it's just about John. And ultimately, like I think Danny. Again, I really think there's going to be some downfall there because you have them making, you know, moon eyes at each other, and you know they. <laughs> yeah. The time tale is told as time, or tale is old as time, with uh, the aunt falling in love with her nephew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and then the I, dragon comes up and likes him. Like you saw her yeah. face. I mean, all of it. Like, right. um, she really likes to burn people. I mean, she really she does. I to told you, man. Like, she's. People, man. That's where I think it's gonna come. It's it's gonna be one of those things where it's like she's gonna have to either be this noble, great thing, or just burn the hell out of stuff. And I think she's gonna turn. She's gonna choose to burn the hell out of stuff, and that's where it's gonna get real, real sad. Yeah, it's real um, weird because she spent her whole life like this whole thing's been about her getting to the Iron Throne. John's never even considered it. Right. And doesn't care. Doesn't want it. Doesn't care. He didn't even want to be the king in the north. Like, forget it. Right. Let's go fight White Walkers. And by the way, what a group. That wild bunch he's taking oh, north man. of the wall. And I'm afraid like everybody but him's going to die, but it's just a hell of a group. Someone someone on Twitter put a caption in her. It was like, all right, my boys are down three to one. Let's make some magic happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I just... I, that posse here here's the thing i didn't i don't think i loved the episode as much as you did um i would probably give it like a b b plus yeah because it just feels like everything's on fast forward right now like there's well, so that was in my stuff. notes that's in right. my notes that the storytelling yeah. right now is so fast that what is what happened in the last two episodes if if i think if they would have known how much time they had to tell this story what would have happened in the last two episodes was a whole season right exactly Exactly. That's that's exactly my point. And there was so much good stuff that I would have loved to see fleshed out more and talked about more and, you know, had more detail left into it. I mean, I love all of it. I think all the storylines are engaging and interesting, but they're just not. I want to see more of it. And I feel sad that you're condensing all of this into 
just one episode, really. I mean, if you think about all the yeah. stuff that happens at Winterfell, stuff that happens with Sam, stuff that's happening, you know, with John, and then they go north, and it's just, and then of course, you know, finding out that Cersei's pregnant, it, Do you all think she of this is? stuff just seems like almost too much. And I absolutely I don't it. think she is. By the way, I don't know if she is. She isn't. I mean, she. I'll she trust her. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she could definitely be lying about that. Just She's to keep playing Jamie. Jamie around. I would not be surprised by that at all. Yeah. Um, and why would this, by the way, okay, so the, this scheme of taking like the best people and going to get one of these. That's not going to convince Cersei. Cersei's going to care. Put it on a boat and take it to Cersei? Like who's going to be the idiot on a boat to go to King's Landing and show it to her? Yeah. You think she I, I cares? Think that's a really dumb plan. What a stupid plan this is. It's really stupid. And I think that's probably the weakest part of the episode is that, and, and honestly, really stupid. Because what's going to happen is, I mean, I don't think, you know, I I, have, I assume they're going to be successful in doing what they're going to try to do. Well, some people are going to die, though, right? Yeah. Like, they're in the penultimate, penultimate episode. No so some huge character is going to die next week. Yeah, no somebody's going to die. And yeah. I'm just glad that Davos is chilling back on Dragonstone because I yeah. don't want it to be him. Uh, yeah. No, he's, did he go with no, him? He's there. Is he there? I thought he said he wasn't going to go with him. I thought he said he was going to just chill and stay. No, back. I think he's. I think he's there. I think it's the the brothers without. What are they? The brothers without banners. Those guys. The dog, John, uh, old boy of the free folk. Yeah, Torrin. Um, yeah, Renly's up or not? Gendry's up there, which and is hilarious. I think, I think Davos is up there too. I think they're all going to get it except John. Yeah, they I might. Oh around. man, they might. Yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me if they yeah. all just went out. That would yeah. not. What a duplicitous little pain in the ass Sands is being with it, buying into all this crap. Oh, I like, know. Like Arya is exactly right. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, she she wants. Well, and I think what I really like about Arya is that she's just like totally like you know reading everybody, like just yeah. going off and saying exactly what everyone is. Yeah, she's right. Sansa likes nice things. She likes being you know. Yeah, Likes Lady Winterfell or whatever the hell she is. And the truth, I mean, she, all indications in the show so far is that she's doing a pretty good job, right? Yeah. Like, she knows how to handle this stuff. She knows what she's doing. But the presence yeah. of Littlefinger is toxic. And uh, did you, so they showed the 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 uh, the message that Arya picked up right. uh, under the bed. Did you actually, did you like pause it or, or read what they had? Yeah, I, I saw somebody, I saw it, I think on social media, what it said. It was basically, it was the, the message that Sansa wrote to her mom and Rob after Ned was killed. And right, beheaded. exactly. And so it paints the picture, you know, without the context that, you know, because Rob, Robin, uh, whatever the heck her name was, it's been so long, I can't even remember. Uh, Robin, his mom understood that, that Cersei forced Sansa to write that. Right. Um, but Arya doesn't have that context. So I could see how, you know, obviously Littlefinger planted it for that reaction. I'm under the impression that he knew Arya was following him. Oh, yeah, and, he definitely did. Because he, yeah, he, so he planted and watched it. Her leave the, yeah, yeah, he knows. Yeah, this crap, yeah. that crafty bastard. So, like, him and Cersei, and I, I, I they have to get through this season because there's just not enough with these walkers. There's not any personality with them, as I've said consistently. Right. So th those two have got to move on. Uh, to to the final season, they'll just have to. Well, I think there are two things that are possible. I think Littlefinger either succeeds in driving a wedge between Sansa and Arya, or yeah. he gets found out somehow, and then he's killed. Like they're going to just straight up kill him because there's like that's an all or nothing thing for him. Either oh he God. figures out a way to manipulate Sansa and get rid of Arya, uh, or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, he's dead. So he's I got you know, to get like, his sooner or later. Yeah. 
yeah, I he's he's he has here's the thing about Game of Thrones and you know, a song of ice and fire in general is that there are people who can be sneaky and kind of avoid what's coming to them for a time. You know, they can, they can string it out for a little bit, but eventually their, their luck runs out. Eventually things screw up. And, uh, I, I just feel like his, his, his luck's about to screw up or to run out because yeah, he's on his last, right. he is he is playing his last card, and I don't yeah. see what else he gains uh, after this because his goal was the Iron Throne, and he is really far away from that now. So he is, but my God, he's like he's got a ton of juice too. I mean, okay, so this is this was my final beef, right? Mm. Um, and again, I just adore this show, as you can probably tell. But my <laughs> my my final beef is that Danny is the worst. She is the worst political player in the history of this game. Oh, so she terrible. barbecues these Tarleys, all right? So right now there is no, because Sam doesn't know, so there's no air. What's, where do they live? Who? The Tarleys. What's the name of they're, their place? They're in, they're in the reach. They're by High Garden. All right. So nobody there. There right. is not anybody at High Garden. Right. There is nobody at Casterly Rock. Correct. There is nobody at Harrenhal. Right. Like, you have got, you have all these castles around the kingdom empty. And they, she, they have wiped out entire dynasties, entire family trees are gone. Like, how is somebody after Danny barbecues their asses? Somebody's got to go run High Garden, right? <laughs> like, who's going to get the grain? Like, and this is the type of thing that I think this is a this is the fault of not knowing how many episodes you get to tell a story, right? Because I think if they had known that they had this long, they could have some of the stuff that early on in season one could have been condensed a little mm-hmm. and this stuff could have gotten more time because there are big issues that need to be addressed and, and that normally would have been, I mean, there's nobody like it. Who's at the twins? Who's at river run? <laughs> right. Nobody. I mean, is, does anybody live in a castle or is it all just these bands of idiots? <laughs> That's a really good observation. And it's, you know, cause the Tarleys could have taken care of high garden, you know, they could have, sure. they could have stepped in if you wanted them to. Yes. Uh, that's a really good observation that I didn't think of. Cause you're absolutely right. Like all the phrase are dead. Uh, no everybody in the veil is up in Winterfell. <laughs> no one's at the veil. Yeah. There, there's so nobody at uh, the dread fort. Yeah. There's all nobody. The, pretty much all the Boltons are gone. Right. Ed Mertoli, he must be at river run. Maybe. But he couldn't even hit a, a flaming arrow for crying out right. loud. I don't so, even know what's going on at River Run at this point because you would assume. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that's that's really kind of interesting to see how they would even handle that because there's, there's like nobody at Casterly like Rock. Nobody around anymore. Casterly Rock is empty. Yeah, High Garden is the is right the biggest producer of food and means to the whole country, and there's nobody there. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's really There's nobody crazy. in the reach. There's nobody in Dorn. There's nobody anywhere. That's right. Dorn's been what like all, the, all, all their kingdoms gone. All these houses are empty. And well, and that's and, and, and that's the thing because the books would take care of that. The books would tell you what's happening. The books would tell you who is there and 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 what's you know the situation and what's up. But so hopefully that's a nugget that kind of readers get. So, you're propelled so quickly by the inertia of all the events that are going on in the show that you kind of. Don't think about the fact that nobody's in charge. <laughs> There's nobody anywhere. It yeah. seems as if all that's left is Cersei at, at 
at the at the King's Landing. Right. And John and Sansa at Winterfell. I think that's a and, really good observation. And Danny's at Dragon's, but that's it. The right. whole rest of the country is just run amok by just like common people. Right. Nobody's in charge of anywhere. Yeah. That I mean, again, and in the books, you've got all these like, you know, subservient houses that would step up and they would probably all be infighting and trying to find control of all this stuff. And that's why I don't think this is how this is going to play out in the books anyway, because you're right. That's too much chaos to keep track of. Um, you know, if something happened in Dorne to the people who are in charge, other people would step up. They've got a line of secession. There's other people who could do that. If, you know, high garden fell, then other, you know, other houses in the area would come and and end up taking over that place. But you don't know about those because they're not in the, you know, in the story here in the show. So no. And I understand they can't tie all this up, but this seems like a huge lack of, the pacing last couple of years, I think, has been off and did not allow that for them to fully flesh out some of the stuff they're trying to do in this season. And right. it sucks because the stuff they're doing this season is really, really interesting. And it's really oh, good. It's awesome. It's great. Um, it just seems but, like they're just rushing through this thing at such a rate. That's the only thing. More it, backstory. It could yeah, I'm sure it's all about finances. You know, they have a finite amount of money to spend. That's why they're doing the seven episodes instead of 10. This show is right. so expensive. I mean, they have CGI dragons like this is this costs a lot. Yeah. Um, so I get it, but I was just, I was thinking about that on, uh, on Sunday night. I'm thinking like, I saw Danny burn those Tarleys and I'm going, well, wait a second. Wouldn't Dick the only on other Tarly, house you know about. <laughs> right. Wouldn't Dick on Tarly been a good guy to run high garden. Yeah. He seems like a pretty stand up guy. Maybe you should have him run high garden. Right. That's keep, a really keep good the point. grain flowing. Yeah. I, and, and maybe, and if they're smart, they can use that as, you know, a plot point next season and say, Hey, you killed everybody. So yeah. there's nobody here to help you out. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. starving. You know, it's chaos. This is real bad. And you screwed up. Like, I think you yeah. can use the plot point, but yeah, I kind of have unsullied like Dothraki run. running amok. Right. And Dothraki are not going to be running, you know, like no. <laughs> the agricultural needs for the no. south of Westeros. And what's she going to do with them, too? Uh, so, all right. Yeah, we go down the rabbit hole See, I had that same thought, too. I don't know what the hell is going to happen with the other right? Because their whole society is built on basically being the, uh, you know, the ironborn of Essos. Like, they're, they go around, they pillage, they rape, they steal. Yeah. Um, and then they move on. Yeah. But they don't rule, like, really. Um, so that's, that's going to be really interesting to see how they handle that. They may just hand wave it away and say they all die against the White Walkers or something, but yeah, I don't know. That, that's well, they're not going to be... do well up there anyway without coats. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Like, I don't know, I don't know who's really going to fight the White Walkers in the north aside from the people in the north because there's no way. Horses Three aren't going to work in the snow. They can't fight the way they normally do. No. I mean, that's, that's going to be a, a huge mess. Yeah, it'll be three dragons. It'll be... John, Danny, and somebody else on a dragon, and they'll go maybe Tyrion, and they'll go. That's how this thing's going to go, I think. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Um, so I'm glad we cleared that up. So I'm glad that it, that my <laughs> observation of nobody in a castle didn't fall on deaf ears because it seems no, like a no. Problem I, I think that's me. a really, really good point on your part. I think that's all really right. it. Uh, from the absurdity to uh, of Game of Thrones to uh, poignant and um, uh, sad. I mean, just sad, tragic um, yeah. loss uh, for us at Eleven Warriors. And I'll let you expound upon that, my friend. Yeah, so we talked about this in the forums a little bit. Um, our good friend and, and really good writer, Kurt, uh, passed away uh, last weekend. And um, the thing I want to say about Kurt, I mean, I didn't have a ton of interactions with him, but every time I did, he was really just gregarious and, and funny. 
and and really just cool to talk to. We talked about movies and The Simpsons sometimes. But the thing I'm going to remember about him and the thing that I think we're going to miss the most is his passion for wrestling. And we had him on the dubcast several times. And every time I got to talk to him about it or edit one of his pieces or work with him on you know something about wrestling, uh, his excitement and passion for that sport was so evident. And I like, you know, I know a little bit about wrestling before he started writing for our site. Uh, I know way more and I am way more of a fan because of it. I have a much greater appreciation for what those guys do and, and, and what that sport is. And it's thanks to him. And I just, I'm going to miss him as a person first and foremost, but I'm also going to miss a guy who had that much kind of passion and interest and a desire to share that with other people. Um, because that's just that's a really great quality to have when someone's that excited about something and they want everyone else to enjoy it as much as they do. That that shows the quality of a human being. Um, and we're really, really going to miss the guy because he was he was great. So, uh, you know, wherever he is, you know, I, I wish him you know, the best because we're all going to be thinking about him for a really long time. So rest in peace. Just so good at his job. Yeah, man. Like I, I loved reading everything you wrote. I really did. Yeah, you know, I'm not a wrestling guy. I have such respect for the people who do it, but it's just not my thing. Um, I, I don't like. I don't particularly like watching it. I mean, it's you can't really beat like a, you know, a national championship match or a gold medal fight. I mean, there's a drama to that that right. no matter if you have any, if you have a pulse, you can recognize the drama. Um, but I thought you know, Kurt did a, just an incredible job of conveying that passion that he had to it uh, to the readers. And it was easy for me to, it allowed, honestly, it allowed me to kind of keep up with it because otherwise right. I wouldn't have, I really wouldn't have. Um, and so it was, you know, he, he just was really good at his job and really passionate about his job. And, um, you know, that's just, that will be missed tremendously. I didn't know him as a person, but just knew his work and it was exemplary and his passion for the writing was, it was so evident when you read it. Um, yeah. so, so just a, a very tough and, and, and trying loss, obviously. Um, all right, kids. Uh, we we will be we will be back next week with another dubcast, and uh, we will continue to 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 press on, and we'll we'll continue to get into fall camp, and then we'll have some more Game of Thrones stuff because we're winding down on that as well. So, um, well said on your part, my friend. Lots in that show, a lot more than we certainly intended, but we'll be back next week for more. Yep, absolutely. See you next week.